Hey, a couple of, of announcements that I want to let us in on. Uh, we talked about Easter last week. You see all the signage in the lobby. Make sure you grab that. Pass it out. This is what we say at our church. We're not inviters, we're bringers. So who are you bringing to church, not who are you inviting to church? You heard Pastor Manny say it last week. There's a 100% chance that someone will show up to church if you bring them with you. So make sure you're bringing people uh, to church. Uh, we've got a ton of stuff planned for Easter. We've got baptisms planned. Uh, we've got petting zoos. We've got all kinds of stuff. Again, it's not to put on a show, but we know this, is that some people, they'll come to church on Easter, and we just want it to be a welcoming invitation for the first time that people step into our church. Another announcement that I have to make uh, is this. So let me kind of break this down for you. Like, Zach, why are you taking time to talk about, and you'll see what I'm talking about, why are you taking time in the services? Because it's in our constitution and bylaws. We have a steering committee here at Multiply Lake Norman, and that steering committee helps give uh, uh, guidance and wisdom and direction for where God is taking us. I want to give you the list of individuals on that steering committee now. We're going to add a few more to it. But those individuals are Brian King, Jessica Clark, Sam Sanchez, Chris Hazlett, Autumn Moyer, Zach Brock, my wife Jenna, Stephen Jackson, Bill Ashburn, and the rest of the Lake Norman staff. And again, per our constitution and bylaws, I have to announce two Sundays before we take a member vote on anything. And so this is considered Sunday one, and next week will be Sunday number two. Directly after service next Sunday, we're going to be taking a vote, and that vote is going to be this. Uh, we're voting to list and sell the land that we own. So maybe you're new to this church. I'll give you a little history we bought some land about two and a half years ago. We paid $625,000 for eight and a half acres that we wanted to develop. It was going to cost, because of inflation, our new cost to build our building was eight and a half million dollars. And when we saw that sticker price, we went, oh boy, let's, let's wait. And I'm thankful that we waited. I'm thankful for the guidance and the wisdom that was in the room when we made that decision because now the land that we purchased for 625, we feel what we've gotten back, the information that we've gotten back is we can list it for around 1.2 million. So that's an impact that we'll have as a church. We'll take that money and there is a piece of land with the current structure on it that we're looking to purchase. So again, we don't want to sit on this money to wait. We're trying to actively move forward. That new piece of property or the potential piece of property is about six miles or six minutes away. Excuse me, not six miles away, but about six minutes away from where we're sitting now. So again, per our constitution and bylaws, I have to make that announcement. I'll make the same announcement next week. So here we go. We're stepping into to week four of our crossover series. By the way, raise your hand. Do you like the new setup in here? Like, uh, it's not by our choice or our preference. This is us working with the school. They have a play going on, like Manny said. But so we'll be like this for about the next four weeks. And it, it's, it's different preaching to you guys. I just need, I need you to do me a favor, all right? Call a spade a spade. Everyone came and sat in this section, all right? I need some of y'all to start funneling over here, not today, but like to next week, funnel to, to that section because I'm going to preach to this section more and more because I feel like there's more people over there. Uh, but we've been in this, this crossover series, and, and week one, we were in Zechariah chapter eight, and we talked about crossing over into the house of revival. And we asked the questions like, if you want a house of revival, if you want to live in the house of revival, if you want to see God move, if you want to see the miraculous, then through Zechariah chapter 8, we found that God was calling us to return, repent, and restore. To return, to repent, and restore. Why? Because revival isn't a handout, and revival isn't passive. If you want God to move in your life, then you have to put the work in for God to move in your life. And the statement that we made was this, how, how do you do that? You do the ordinary unordinarily well. What is the ordinary? The ordinary is following, following after Jesus daily. The ordinary looks like waking up and, and talking to God. The ordinary looks like prayer. The or ordinary looks like the devotional day in and day out and, and reading scripture, not just when you feel like it. Doing the ordinary unordinarily well, and some days I know that your spiritual tank might seem like you're running on empty, and there's some phrases that we use at, at this church. My buddy Zach Brock, man, he, he mentions this all the time when we work out. Just show up. Just show up. If your spiritual tank is empty, man, just keep 
showing up. Do the ordinary unordinarily well. Why? Because we know that consistency breeds growth. And ultimately, we say this saying at church. We have it on t-shirts. We have it on hats. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Don't just pay things lip service, but actually put action to it. And then week two, we were in Zechariah chapter 10, and and Pastor Keith preached a, a message on the house of generations. And we know that the lives that we live will impact the next generation. And we ask this question, what are you building now that will outlast you? A lot of times in our culture, our society, and in our own lives, we want to build stuff for ourselves or for our families, and and that's okay, but but take that question a bit further. What are you building that's actually going to outlast you? Week three, we talked about living and crossing over into the house of rain, and we as Christ followers are called to do three specific things. We're called to plow, we're called to sow, and we're called to wait. God is the God of the rain. Now, once he brings the rain, there's a harvest, and and we're called as Christ followers to be laborers of the harvest, to step out into the world, to step out into the community, to tell people about the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of Jesus. So week four, we're crossing over into the house of freedom, the house of freedom. We're going to be in Micah chapter four. Some of you are like, I didn't know that was a book of the Bible. All right, I need some feedback, all right, y'all. Laugh, give me like courtesy laugh, something. But my, thank you for the courtesy laugh. Micah chapter 4. So go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, we have it on the screen for you. So I'll start off in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll dive into those four verses a bit deeper. And it reads like this In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established at the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord, from Jerusalem. Verse 3, he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. If you're cross-referencing this scripture with other scriptures, jot these down, go back and read them later. But Psalm chapter 87, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But how does all of this relate to crossing over into the house of freedom? In 1941, Franklin Roosevelt gave a speech, kind of a State of the Union address, and he talked about four specific freedoms. He talked about the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom of want, and the freedom of fear. I don't know if you're like me, but I love going back and listening to old speeches or, or old interviews, and I, I love older texts and, and want to learn from people who have gone before me. But I also have to learn from Scripture. I can't just rely on those interviews. I can't just rely on those good books. I have to go to see what Scripture says. And in Micah chapter 4, we learn about four specific freedoms. If you're taking notes, the first freedom that we learn about is the freedom of ignorance. The freedom of ignorance. Now, in the South, that's called the freedom of bless your heart. All right? Some of y'all know what I'm If you're from the North, you have no idea what we're talking about. But I will say this, if you're from the north and someone looks at you and says, bless your heart, they're not blessing you, all right? They might be making fun of you a little bit, but it's the freedom of bless your heart. Verse 2, again, let me read it to you there. He, he being God, will teach us his ways, not the ways of the world. And we will walk in his path, for the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, and his words will go out from Jerusalem. What, What does the world say? If you're a high school student in the room, the world will say, or if you're a college student in the, world, in the room, the world will say, hey, cheat on a test as long as you don't get, as long as you don't get caught so you, think you can pass the class. The world will say, hook up with whoever you want to because you only live once. That's the types of things that the world would say. Now, if you're an older adult in the room, the world used to say, look, but don't touch. Now the world says, look and touch as long as you think you can get away with it. Now the world will say, work for yours because nobody else really matters. The world will say something like this. Hey, during tax season, cheat on your taxes so that you can get more money back from the government because you don't trust the government anyway. The world will say, get away with as much as you can. 
And we have a choice as Christ followers to follow society or to follow Scripture. In 1969, Billy Graham was on the Woody Allen show. Anybody ever watch Woody Allen? Nobody in the room watched Woody? I got a couple people. All right, so in 1969, Billy Graham was on the Woody Allen show, and, and it started out like this. Woody Allen said, whether you agree with his view or not, he was always extremely interesting to talk to. I don't agree with him on a great many subjects, some, but not many. And then he introduces Billy Graham and the, cloud clap, the crowd claps and, and Billy Graham makes his way to the set and he sits down and he says, Woody, thanks for letting me be here. I just let, need to let you know, there's some things that I don't agree with you on as well. And, and the crowd kind of chuckles a little bit and, and then they go on to have this interview and, and Alan's response is, but which one, of, which one of us is going to be converted? I hope to convert you to agnosticism. And Graham leans in, he says, I've had a good many try, but the more they try, the firmer my conviction gets. And that was Graham's response on national television, but that's the world in which we live, society, culture, and politics, all trying to pull us as far away from the conviction of Christ as they can, and saying things like, you can live how you want to, with, you want to, with whoever you want to, when you want to. And they open up the segment by asking questions. And, and it's not just the questions that got my attention when I was listening to this interview. It was, it was Graham's response. Because Graham's response always started off with something like this. It's not a matter of what I believe. It's a matter of what the Bible teaches. He wasn't giving his opinion. He was simply just going back to Scripture. You start talking about idolatry. And Woody Allen says, so idolatry bothers you the most? And Graham's response was, it doesn't bother me, it bothers the scriptures. They start talking about premarital sex and Woody Allen responds, but that's like buying a car without getting a learner's permit. And Graham says this, he says, we all live by rules. We don't play a baseball game without rules. We don't play a football game without rules. And God said, if you want to live your best life, the best way to live is by following the rules that Jesus has placed before us. The problem is we see that word or hear that word rules and we feel like as if we're placed in a box or placed in a cage. Again, this interview was in 1969, 54 years ago, but we're posed with the same challenges as Christ followers today. Culture and society will tell you that emphatic statements like, this is my opinion, this is just where culture is, this is how I feel, this is my truth, are statements that we're called to live by. And if you disagree, then you're called a bigot, you're called not accepting, that you don't affirm people, and that your language isn't inclusive to lifestyles, pronouns, and decisions that people are making. And then Christ followers are stuck in this cultural box that places Jesus in this fictitious box that he can't get out of. And we get this response from the same culture that I'm just a conservative Christian. I'm just a liberal Christian. I'm a progressive Christian. I'm a white Christian. I'm a black Christian. I'm a Baptist Christian. I'm a Presbyterian Christian. I'm an Assemblies of God Christian. I'm a straight Christian. I'm a gay Christian. If you're living for Jesus, there cannot be an adjective in front of the word Christian. You, you cannot be a liberal Christian. You, you cannot be a conservative Christian. You can't be a progressive or a gay or a straight Christian, why? Let me take you all the way back to grammar school. All right, my grandmother was an English teacher. My great-grandmother was an English teacher. This type of stuff was just drilled in my head. But the purpose of an adjective in any sentence is to inform the noun. So, so when there is an adjective that informs the noun, it informs the direction and the agenda of anything that comes after the adjective. So if you say you're a conservative Christian, then what you're saying is you're more conservative than you are a Christian because the adjective is identifying and directing the noun. If you say that you're a liberal Christian, then what you're saying is you're primarily liberal before you're a Christian. If you say you're a gay Christian or a straight Christian or you're a progressive Christian, the adjective is absolutely informing the direction of the noun. So then we see scripture through the lens of the adjective, not through the lens of scripture itself. And you begin to read scripture as if the adjective describes how you should live 
what you should say, and the direction you could carry your life. And then secondarily, you're a Christ follower. That's the problem and the ignorance of our society and our culture. Listen, this is what I can't do as a church. We cannot and we will not sacrifice biblical truth on the altar of individual affirmation. We can't do it. Why? It's not because of what I say. It's not my opinion. Micah chapter 4, verse 2, there he, being God, will teach us his ways. Not the ways of your adjective, but his ways. And then we will walk in his path. God teaches humanity through scripture to stay on his path. In fact, I would submit to you that following Jesus is actually simplistic. Why? Because it's no longer my opinion or my preference. Go back to what Graham said. This is what God's word teaches. It makes following Jesus very, very easy. But does it seem hard? Absolutely. It seems hard. Why? Because we're human. We're broken. We're full of sin. We're full of depravity. We're full of confusion. But Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 says this, Lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and, and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Luke writes in his gospel in chapter 9, and he was saying to them, he being Jesus, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily, daily, and follow me. I don't know if you've been like me. It's easy to follow Jesus sometimes, but that word daily poses a problem. It's not when I feel like it. It's not when I want to. It's, it's daily. It's, if I had to preach this to myself for a second, I'll stand over here so none of y'all have to see me, but it would sound something like this. It would, it would sound like this. Zach, daily means when you don't feel like it. Zach, da daily actually means even when you, even when you sin. Zach, you're a pastor. You sin absolutely, probably more than any person in the room. But you have to take, you have to take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. I get angry and upset when someone cuts me off on 77. I'm just going to confess to you. Does anybody else? Like, can, can, we, have a, can we have a self-help group? Hey, my name is Zach. Hi, Zach. <laughs> but I have this problem when somebody cuts me off on 77. And my wife would... Like, inevitably, my wife looks like this. She goes, I have to do my left hand because she's sitting in the passenger seat. She goes, don't do it. Because <laughs> she knows I want to change lanes. She knows that I want to get up beside them. If she's not in the car, I'll roll down the window, and I want to lock eyes. And I'm praying somebody wants to get a little frisky. Like, you want to pull over and talk about it? Let's talk about it. But I have to pick up my cross and die to myself daily. Yeah. Maybe you're a parent in the room. Listen, raising kids is hard. Sometimes I want to throw my hands up, but I have to pick up my cross daily to follow Jesus so that I might be able to lead my family. Contrary to popular belief, Jenna and I get in a lot of arguments sometimes. But I have to, mostly it's my, my fault, all right? <laughs> I have to pick up my cross daily and follow Jesus. I can be one of the most selfish individuals in the room. I'm going to look out for me. I'm going to get mine. But I have to pick up my cross daily to follow Jesus. Why? Because Micah 4, 2 is very clear. There, when I pick up that cross and daily follow Jesus, there, he will lead me in his ways. And I will follow his path. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. Your obligation isn't to the adjective that you try to put in front of the noun. Your obligation isn't to the flesh, it's to live according, not to the flesh, but to live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death what the misdeeds of the body are, you will truly live. Maybe you're sitting there thinking like, man, the scripture makes sense, the, the stories make sense, the illustrations make sense, but it le leads me to one of my favorite acronyms that we use at church all the time. It's YBH. Yeah, but how? Yep, yeah, but How? How do I die to that ignorance? And, and for me, it's very basic. It, it's very simple. It sounds elementary, but it, it's, hold, it's held more true in my life than, than anything else. And we see it through Scripture. 
When Jesus was tempted by Satan, what did he do? He repeated Scripture. He repeated the Word. When the Pharisees and Sadducees popped off at the mouth and tried to catch Jesus in a trap, how did he respond? He responded with Scripture. When the disciples were struggling with situations and directions in their life and and how do we do this thing, what did Jesus respond with? He responded with Scripture. Even when Jesus was hanging on the cross being crucified, he responded with Psalm chapter 22. He responded with Scripture. If it was good enough for Jesus, then it's probably good enough for us. The problem is we we can't respond with Scripture in our life if we're not hiding it in our heart. How do you hide it in your heart? What does your memorization of Scripture look like? When you're going through a hard time, are you able to say Scripture or are you pulling from someone else's opinion? I I, I pray that we pull from Scripture. So you want to know how to combat the ignorance of the world? It's through Scripture. How do we truly have a freedom from ignorance? We recant Scripture. The next one kind of threw me for a loop when I was studying and and putting this together, but it's the freedom from war. Verse 3 says, nation will not take up sword against nation. This concept seems foreign to me, especially as we plant churches uh, across the world. Maybe you haven't been a part of Multiply Church long and kind of let you in on this, but Every single dollar that comes into our church, the first 10% of every dollar that comes in goes directly to missionaries. I'm not talking about the big organizations or groups. It goes directly to boots on the ground. Currently, we support over 140 different missionaries across the world. And that's cool and that's, that's noble, but there's three missionaries that we picked up this past year. And it always amazes me when I step into conversations with them. You guys know we've planted a church in, in Nicaragua, and, and Scott and Christy Batson are leading the charge there with Carlos. And I, I'm thinking, Nicaragua, man, that's close. It's safe. We don't have anything to worry about until they went through an election season. And they literally had to flee from the country during no, uh, this past November during election season so that they, they and their family would be safe. They, they couldn't take any trips during November and December because of the election season. And, and then we kind of fast forward, and, and I, or, or, I guess rewind rather, Went to South Africa last year, and there's a missionary that we support. His name's Randy Freeman. Randy was telling me about all the things that their church is doing. I said, man, tell me about some of the hard things that you dealt with. He said, oh, man, this past election season, it was rough. We kind of had a civil war. Said, man, how, how bad was it? Like, like what, what was going on? I'm thinking, like, people are just saying stuff on social media. People are just saying stuff on the news, kind of like what we see here. He goes, no, man, it was, it was pretty serious. In fact, our entire neighborhood had to rally together to barricade our streets on both ends as best as possible so the war wouldn't be brought to our street or to our neighborhood. I was talking with our missionaries in, in Ethiopia, Doug and Tasha Myers. They were here with us a few months ago. And, and they shared a very similar story. A couple years back, Ethiopia went through this civil war so much so that the UN reached out to them so that they could evacuate the country. And this was their response. We came to tell people about Jesus. What would it look like if we left when they need him the most? Those are the types of missionaries that we support. And that's cool, and I'm glad that we as a church can, can do that. But, but how do we step into to the fullness of everything that God has for us? There is absolutely a freedom from war. Could you imagine living in that world? Imagine living in a world where brother doesn't fight against brother. Imagine living in a world that America doesn't seem that we're in this perpetual state of conflict and war. It's almost foreign to me, especially being in the military. Like, I I can't comprehend it. But what if we lived in that world? And then the third freedom is the freedom from want. The first part of verse 4, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. You're not going to worry about what someone else has. You're not going to worry about what someone else buys or or purchases. My truck is a 2011 Chevy Silverado. The mileage on my truck looks more like a phone number than anything else. I've got some buddies that the mileage on their vehicle looks like the year I was born. There's there's some different concepts, all right? Some of you drive these vehicles. I'm not judging you. I like good. Go, Go buy them. 
but it amazes me when I get into them because they feel more like rocket ships than vehicles. Like you sit, you sit in their truck. I got a buddy, I sat in his truck a couple weeks back. And like you can usually turn like the heat on. Like that's common, right? You got heat, heated seats. He had air-conditioned seats. Some of y'all have that. It's fancy. That wind blows. Doesn't feel bad. Right? Like on your back, it's on your lower extremities. Yes. It's going to be 95, 100 degrees here in a couple months. I want that. I'm envious. I'm going to let you know. I'm confessing. I'm envious. But then you put your truck in or your vehicle in reverse. And now these vehicles have like this 360, 360 degree camera on it. And to parallel park or to back up, they look at a camera. I've got to do something foreign that people don't do anymore. I use these things called rear view mirrors. And I do this thing called looking over my shoulder. I don't have a camera. In fact, cars now, the ones that I wish I could get, they like vibrate when somebody's coming on either direction of you to let you know that people are there. It's like you intentionally pull up close to somebody to give you that extra massage on that side because that hip's hurting, right? But we can, we can become envious. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you look at someone else's family and go, man, why are they being blessed with kids and we're not? Maybe you look at someone else's lifestyles and you say something along the lines, I work just as hard as they do. God, why, why are you blessing them? Well, where's mine? Maybe you look at someone else's house. I'm confessing again. <laughs> I do that. I walk into their house. I'm like, Lord, if you could bless me with something like this, I could host more people at my house. Y'all wonder why y'all don't get invited to our house. It's because our house is under 1,500 square feet. We got a couple dogs and a cat and two girls, and it's like, oh, my gosh, like we can't fit anybody in here. Lord, if you would just bless me with a bigger house. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being honest. I'm being open. And subconsciously, we can almost become envious of what other people have. And we can have this idea of want. Now, I feel like I could, I could preach this. I could talk about looking at someone else's house and family and job and lifestyles, and, and we want what we want, how we want it, and when we want it. But I feel like Veruca says it best. Hey, Daddy, I want a golden goose. Here we go again. All right, sweetheart, all right. Daddy will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No, I want one of those. Bunker, how much do you want for the golden goose? They're not for sale. Name your price. She can't have one. Who says I can't? The man with a funny hat. I want one. I want a golden goose. Gooses. Geeses. I want my geese to lay gold eggs for Easter. It will, sweetheart. At least a hundred a day. Anything you say. And by the way, what? I want a feast. You ate before you came to the factory. I want a bean feast. Oh, one of those. Cream buns and donuts and fruitcake with no nuts. So good you could go nuts. You're going to have all those things when you get home. No, now. I want a ball. I want a party. Pink macaroons and a million balloons and performing baboons and give it to me now. I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. I want today. I want tomorrow. I want to wear my braids in my hair and I don't want to share them. I want a party with roomfuls of laughter, 10,000 tons of ice cream. And if I don't get the things I am after, I'm going to scream. I want the works. I want the whole works. Presents and prizes and sweets and surprises of all shapes and sizes and now Don't care how I want it now Don't care how I want it now So again, we want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. It's like, why do you take two and a half minutes to show a clip like that? Because that's what our prayer life looks like a lot of the times. God, I want what I want, how I want it, when I, in your time, God, how you want it, but I, this is how I want it. We'll say, like, God, God you, you give me whatever you want to, when, and then we always follow it up with, but if you could, if you would, 
we want what we want, how we want, and when we want it. What if we changed our mindset from want to appreciation? Hey, Lord, I know I like those other trucks, but man, thank you. Thank you for giving me some wheels to get me around. Thank you that I don't have a car payment. Amen. Mine's paid off. <laughs> hey, God, thank you for the family that I do have. Hey, in your timing, with your blessing, but thank you for what I do have. I, I know, I, God, I know I complain about my kids sometimes. But Lord, thank you for them. God, I know, I know I complain about my kid kind of running wild. I, I, know, I, I know I ask you questions like why, what have I done wrong? I, but I know you're still in control. Thank you. Thank you for my family. God, thank you for the roof over my head. You, you, didn't, you didn't tell me you didn't tell me you were going to make me rich and fam famous. You told me you'd take care of me. And you've done that. Thank you. We're really good at presenting God with problems. We're not that good with thanking God. So, Lord, thank you. And then we step into this fourth freedom, and it's the freedom from fear. It's the second half of verse 4. And no one will make them afraid. Seven words, and no one will make I think it's seven. One, two, three, four. Yep. No one will make them afraid. What about, what about some fears that are in the room? The, the first one that I'll kind of call out is acrophobia. And I was going to ask you, does anyone have acrophobia? But I'll say it this way. Does anyone have a fear of heights? Fear of heights in the room? A couple hands going up. You got a fear of heights. A few months back, we, I, I did this sermon and we put this rope ladder. And I was like climbing the rope ladder up to the trusses. And, and there were people in the audience. They were like freaking out because they had a fear of heights. So they were afraid for me. You're afraid of heights. What about nyctophobia? Nyctophobia. It's a fear of the dark. Anybody got fear of the dark? This is how I know who you are. You're the person that stands by your light switch and you look at the path that you're going to take to your bed. And what you do is, as soon as you hit that switch down, you're running to jump into your bed because you're convinced that between the time that the light was on to the time that the light was off, something got under your bed. And whatever got under your bed will reach out and grab you if you don't run and jump. And you jump and get under the covers as fast as you can because those covers will absolutely protect you from anything that's under the bed. Some of the adults are like, yeah, that's for a kid. Yeah, but you're the person that walks downstairs to let your pet go to the bathroom at night. You have to turn every light on in your house and every light on outside of your house to make sure that no one is watching you. And if they are, you just want to be able to see them. You have this, this fear of the dark. What about alingophobia? Alingophobia, I think this one actually splits households. Alingophobia, babe, I love you, but it's a fear of roller coasters. Anyone got a fear? Raise your hands high if you have a fear of roller coasters. Get it up high, babe. Hi, I want everybody to see. All right, keep them up. No, 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 keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. If you have a fear of roller coasters, keep those hands up. Look around. If you love roller coasters, be friends with these people because they can watch your stuff when you're riding roller coasters, all right? You just have to let them choose where they want to eat in inside the amusement park. So take them to Carowinds, tell them you'll pay for their food, but they have to watch all your stuff. We all have these, these fears. In fact, it was funny. You were texting me this morning when I was practicing and rehearsing. My wife sends me a video of a stink bug in our bedroom it's a stink bug. I can't get it. My response, don't tell me you're scared of it. It'll fly at me or something. It's stuck between the crack. <laughs> I don't want it to be mad and get stinky. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Vaco Pest Control to the rescue. I think I can handle the stink bug, right? But we have these irrational fears in our life. And the problem is it might seem irrational to you or to others, but it's very, very real to you. Your fear might seem irrational to the rest of the world. But that fear is something that grips you and it holds you and it weighs you down. What would it look like if we could move on the other side of that fear? Some people, autophobia, the fear of being alone. Some people, glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. Who has a fear of public speaking? 
I, I kid you not, when I, was, when, I was in, when I was in high school, I hated getting in front of people. I've told this story a few times. I used to have a stuttering problem. I had to take speech therapy for two years. I, I hated getting in front of people. And I've had people ask me in the past few years, like, Zach, do you get nervous speaking in, in front of people? Absolutely. Every single Sunday. I had a professor say, the moment that you're not nervous to speak the word of God in front of people is the moment you stop preaching the word of God. So you wonder why I hang out over here. I say one simple prayer every single Sunday. God, clear my heart. God, clear my mind. God, clear my soul that you would be able to speak through me. Dude, I, I get back there and I sweat and drink a whole bottle of water and get nervous before I get on the stage every single Sunday. But I know if God has called me to something, then he'll sustain me through it. And he does it week in and week out. Parents in the room, maybe you have a fear of raising your kids. I mean, I'm, I'm there, especially having a five-year-old and a two-year-old and what's society going to look like when they get older and all this stuff. And we have this fear the world may seem dark and it might seem like we have no hope but the problem as Christ followers is we give more credit to the enemy than he deserves we can learn from the Israelites the Israelites spoke fear over the next generation I refuse to speak fear over the next generation I want to speak love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness and self-control I, I want to speak of dreams, signs, and wonders over the next generation. I want to speak purity over the next generation. Learn from my mistakes. I, I, I want to speak hope over the next generation. I want to speak biblical truth over the next generation. I refuse to speak fear. And not just for the next generation, but every single person sitting in here under the sound of my voice. What's the goal? The goal is to expanding the kingdom of God by speaking biblical truth. What would it look like? What would it look like to refuse to speak fear? If you're a parent in the room, let me give you some practicals. Let me give you two books. Man, if you're raising girls in the room, there's one book that impacted me more than anything. I know a couple of you in the room have read it. But it's called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters by Meg Meeker. There's also a movie if you don't like to read, but make sure you have a box of Kleenex and don't watch it on an airplane because you can't hide your tears on an airplane, all right? There's another book for uh, individuals raising a son, and it's called Raising a Modern Day Knight by Robert Lewis. If you've never read it, I mean, it's got some good practical implications on raising sons. Now hear me, this isn't a substitute for scripture. This is for you to read alongside of scripture. High school student, What's your fear in the room? Hey, maybe you're an athlete in the room and you have this fear of the next season that you have to produce to the best of your ability so some of those scholarships will start coming in because you so desperately want to play at the next level. Maybe you have this fear of making the grades that you need to get into the college that you want to apply for. When I was in high school, the biggest fear that I had was a fear of fitting in. I would do some stupid stuff just so I could feel like I was a part of a group so that I would feel like I'm fitting in maybe maybe you're a single person in the room what's your fear maybe your fear sounds something like this God is there anybody out there for me God am I going to be alone for the rest of my life maybe you're a college student in the room now to be honest with you college students your first two years of college ain't no fear <laughs> like, this is great it's going to last forever but the last two years of college, it's like, am I going to graduate? Am I going to have a job? Where am I going to live? What's my life going to look like? Am I going to marry the person that I've been dating for the last two years? Like, what, what is life going to look like? Grandparents in the room, I know what your biggest fear is. If you're a grandparent in the room and your kids live close, your biggest fear is your kids calling you again this week to ask you to watch the kids again. Like, we all have these fears and we've labeled fear, anxiety, and depression. Now, hear me. I believe there's absolutely a place for clinical and professional help when it comes to anxiety and depression. I'm a product of that help. But if we're not careful, we'll start labeling things, anxiety, depression, and you can give it other names. And what it is, is actually rooted in fear. And when we cross over into a house of freedom, we have a freedom from ignorance. We have a freedom from war. We have a freedom from want and we have a freedom from fear, but it's time for us to truly rise up and cross over. So what's your fear? What is it? 
We all have something. We all have something. Maybe your fear is the next season of your life. I'm going to ask that prayer team, the individuals that are praying over people, if you would go ahead and come up. Maybe you have a fear over the next season of your life. Maybe when I talked about you as a high school student, that was one of your fears. Maybe if you're a single individual, that's one of your fears. Maybe you're a married couple in the room and, and, and you have this fear because your marriage has kind of been on the rocks and, and you want God to show up. You want God to be at the center of your marriage. And, and, and sometimes in order to get past something, you have to call it out. We let our fear grip us and we're afraid to call it out. But the Bible is very clear that we overcome how? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I'm a firm believer that some of us don't fully step into freedom because we believe in the blood of the lamb. We've just never shared our testimony. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. What better way to share your testimony than coming up to the front and having someone pray with and for you? We say this at our church all the time. We believe in the power of prayer, so we pray first. Before we approach any situation, we pray first. What is it for you? What do you need to pray for? Again, maybe it's the next season of your life. Maybe it's the college that you're supposed to go to. Maybe you need to pray for that relationship that you're about to take to the next level. Maybe you need to pray about that job opportunity. Maybe you need to pray about starting the business. Maybe you need to pray about your marriage coming back together. What is it for you? We're going to take a few moments and we're going to step back into worship. And this is what I would challenge you to do. Don't just sit complacent in your chair. Come to the front and actively receive the power of prayer so that we can overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. That is who you are. Sing it again, you are. We make a miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. You are. We make a miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are.
light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. So as the prayer team continues to pray over people, I told you we all have, we all have this fear. And again, it might seem irrational to others, but for the individual, it's gripping. I want to share with you what, what mine was for about six months. For about six months, I was gripped with this fear called thanatophobia. Thanatophobia. It's the fear of death. You're like, Zach, you're a pastor. Why are you afraid of dying? Again, it might seem irrational to you, but for me, it's very real. Now, let me, let me tell you my thought process. I drive the same truck that my dad drove, and, and actually his dad drove it before him, so it was passed from my grandfather after he died to my dad, and after my dad died, it was passed to me about four years ago. My grandfather passed away suddenly at 61 years old. A few years later, my dad passed away suddenly at 51 years old. So rationally for me in my mind, what it looks like is that I'm going to die when I'm 41 years old. It's kind of the track record of my family. And again, I know it might seem irrational for you, but when you drive the truck, the, the two dudes that, that were before you passed away and, and you're thinking about them and you listen to music and, and, and things are brought to your memory. The, the irrational fear that came to my mind was that I'm going to die when I'm 41. And then I started thinking, man, that's only seven years away. And then where it really got me was I drive around with a picture of my girls and my wife in the car. And, and I look at the picture. I did not get emotional for service. And I would think to myself, Lord, if you take me at 41, Piper's only going to be 12. And if you take me at 41, then Harlow is only going to be 9. But if you take me when I'm 41, that means my wife has an opportunity to marry someone else. And I really don't like that. She'll be too young. She'll forget about me. We have these fears that grip us. I don't know what it is for you. You can fill in your own blank. But everybody has something. But what turned me around about a month ago was my faith and my hope that Jesus truly is who he says he is. I have this tendency that throughout the week, I don't do it daily, but throughout the week, leading up to Sunday, I'll listen to the set list that the worship team is gonna sing and kind of drive around and, and talk about my notes to myself. And I, found, I found myself preaching to myself. And I'll stand up here on a Sunday and say, well, if God is who he says he is, then put your trust, put your faith in him. And I realized that I wasn't doing it. Again, we all have areas. Don't judge me. We all have areas that we like to segment. God, I'll give you everything but this. I know you can handle all of that. I don't know if you can handle this. God, I don't know if you can handle my irrational fear of death. I eventually turned it over to him. Because if he is who he says he is, if he's in control, then regardless of when my ticket is punched, I know that my girls will be taken care of. I know that my wife will be taken care of. Regardless of what your fear is, put your faith, your hope, and your trust in Jesus. Here's the problem. We... We have something that the world doesn't have, and that's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we don't share it often enough with people. I promise you, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. Why? I have to go back to my notes. Micah chapter 4, verse 2, there. We give it to God there. He will teach us His ways. And we will walk in his path. Romans chapter 8, I've read it a few minutes ago. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But the obligation isn't to the flesh. The obligation isn't to your adjective. 
It's not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, then you will live. With every head bowed and every eye closed. And here at Multiply Church, we believe that the most important decision that you could ever make in your entire life is to step into a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and profess with your mouth, then you will be saved. Now, just because you say a prayer doesn't mean that life is going to get easy. But it is the very best decision that you'll ever make in your entire life. And if that's you, if you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus or, or maybe you want to renew your relationship with Jesus all across this room, on the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. We're just going to say a prayer collectively together. If that's you all across this room, ready? One, two, three. If you would just begin to slip up your hand, if you'd say, man, Zach, that's me. And you can put those hands right back down. And then if we could say this prayer collectively together, can we say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins that I might live wide awake to your love and fully alive to my purpose. And it's in your name and your name alone that I pray. Amen. Hey, can we celebrate the people that just made that decision to step into a relationship with Jesus? Now hear me again. It's the most important decision you can ever make, but it's just the beginning. So right outside these doors to the left, we have our area that we call Wide Awake and Fully Alive. There will be someone there to meet with you, to talk with you so that you can take your next steps because it's important, but it's also important that you continue the journey. Listen, we'll be right back here, same time, same place next week as we continue to love Jesus and change the world. We'll see you guys soon.